Howdy, strangers. Al Mirabella here, the host of High Strangeness, a podcast about beliefs and the people that believe them. I know what you're thinking. What is this audio quality I'm listening to? Was this recorded on a pair of headphones? Shut up. I know that that's what it sounds like. I'm recording it. You don't have to tell me that. Don't email in about that. And honestly, if this stresses you out too much, you might just want to skip over this episode altogether. I had a really cool guest queued up and uh, a podcast that I was going to edit, but I'm in Pensacola right now, and I'm spending time with my dad for Father's Day and my sister for her birthday. So I thought about how I could spend my day editing my podcast and spend several hours getting to you the perfect piece of audio, but instead I decided that I just wanted to spend some time with my dad And the easiest way to do that was to have him on the show. But I decided this very last minute, and I didn't have a lot of audio equipment with me here in Pensacola. So what you're about to listen to is an interview I conducted in my dad's bedroom on my mom's iPhone with him. And I tried to spruce the audio up a little bit, but there's really only so much that the magic of a media degree can do to boost the audio quality there. It was a really fun talk. I'm also not really editing it very much. I cut a little bit of stuff out, but honestly, I didn't even listen to the whole thing beforehand. It's really late, and I want to go to bed, and it's the night before Father's Day, and I I am really just enjoying spending time with my family. So I'm sorry if this audio quality isn't uh, up to snuff for you, and I promise that next week we will be back with a really, really cool, fun episode. But for now... Just listen to this audio of me interviewing my dad about the weird things that he believes. Oh, I should say who he is. My dad is John Mirabella. He's a 72-year-old retiree who lives in Pensacola, Florida. He has probably the coolest son on the planet, me. And he is one of the people I look up to more than anyone else in the entire world. He has really informed my belief, and I think that that probably comes off when you hear him talk and you you listen to him. I wish that all of you could meet him because he is the kind of person that just sort of brings a warm energy to the room. I love you guys very much. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day to the people who have lost their fathers and to everyone out there who doesn't have a father or doesn't have a father worth telling Happy Father's Day to. You can pretend that my dad is your dad, but it won't make any sense because I will be the one talking to him. And that's all going to start right after the theme song, which starts right now. The truth does not require your belief. The truth is real. I'm doing real good. Are you? You know, tomorrow is. Tomorrow is Father's Day. Tomorrow is Father's Day. You know, that's why uh, I wanted you on my podcast. But really, I just didn't want to have to stay up all night editing an episode of my podcast that I already have recorded tonight. Normally that takes me a couple hours. I figured I could get this one out here, knock one out with you in 20 minutes, and boom, the people are going to like it. Well, I hope so. 
You're a personable old guy. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, I you were old, <laughs> but <laughs> not like what? No, you're not like. You are only old in the context that I am young to be your child. So you have two, you have three kids who are older than me. How old are your kids? Martha just turned 39. I think Stacy's probably, uh, she's uh, maybe uh, 50-something. Yeah, in her 50s, I'm sure she is. Or it, it may be in her late 40s, but probably right. in her 50s. Yeah. And then Michael just turned 35. So I uh, I don't even know that you had anything kicking around down there. At least you didn't think you had anything kicking around down there when you had me. Well, you thought you were shooting blanks. Uh, you can't believe what you know, your mother said. Uh, she said, uh, well, you don't have to worry about that. My time has passed. Well, and we found out that that was just wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you guys had me, because if you didn't, I wouldn't have this podcast. <laughs> this is this is just the light of my life, I guess. I like talking to people, but I don't like them being able to talk back. That's why the podcast is the perfect medium for me. Good. Now, Dad, do you know what my podcast is about? No. Okay. Let me try and explain. It's pretty simple. So, I like to have people on, and I like to talk about the interesting things that they believe that maybe not necessarily everybody believes. For instance, a weird thing about me is that I give a little bit of credence to the idea that maybe Bigfoot does exist. I don't think that Bigfoot necessarily, I'm not going to say I have 100% concrete evidence that Bigfoot exists, but I will entertain the idea, and a lot of people won't. Is there anything like that that you will entertain the idea of? Well, as as far as Bigfoot goes, uh, you can't say he don't exist. You can't say that you're sure he don't exist. You just got to say, well, you know, anything is possible. Until you can really disprove the theory, you should just keep an open mind. Yeah, some would say that the idea there is that you can't prove that he doesn't exist in the same way that you can't prove that God doesn't exist. How would you know? There's no, it's impo- it is easy to prove something does exist. It is very difficult to prove that something does not exist. True. What about aliens? Well, as far as aliens, I, I do believe in my own heart that nobody on this planet up to this time has been able to make contact, but it's very possible that maybe one day we will make contact or maybe they will make contact with us. And uh, I think that the reason that God made this universe so big is because he probably feels that uh, this would not be a good thing. We are not ready for it now. But when we are ready, maybe, you know, he will enable us to make contact with aliens. Do you think that it's more likely that we will find aliens or that aliens will find us? No, I I think it's 50-50. Yeah. I saw a recent statistic that they say that there's probably about 36 inhabited planets somewhere in the galaxy based on their math of the 
odds that life would develop and the odds that a planet would be able to sustain life. But I have a problem with that because I think that that implies life as we know it. You know, we're carbon-based life forms. There's a lot of carbon on our planet and all of our creatures are essentially made from carbon. We're big carbon machines. Um, and that's from all of the plants to all of the uh, funguses and all of the animals. But I think there's the idea that somewhere out there, life could develop out of one of the other uh, elements. Now, carbon is very readily able to be made into things because of its its f physical nature. Like, it's it's just a really good element for making life. But I think that that's just from what we have seen so far. But I, I don't necessarily think that it's impossible that life could... I think that it's possible that life could develop out of hydrogen atoms or any other kind of atoms. Maybe not any of the, like, the really dense, complicated atoms that are really rare, but any of the more common elements like oxygen or hydrogen or carbon or something like that, I think that that's pretty likely. So I, I just say all of that. It's a roundabout way of saying that I think that it's probably more than 36, but there's billions upon billions of stars out there. And our galaxy, you know, we talk about space. There's a lot of space out there. So I actually heard somebody say something like, if you were to send something out into space, oh, I know what it was. So we sent out a couple of decades ago um, a communication, like a time capsule into space, and we just shot it in one direction, and somebody said, well, what about when it crashes into a planet? And they're like, do you know what the odds are that it's ever going to crash into anything? There's just so much open space out there. So that's the problem is that there's too much space in between our planet and other planets. I think we'll have to figure out some other way to travel through space before we make contact. But I think that it's possible that the aliens that have been around for millions of years longer than us, if there are any of those, I think that they could probably develop that technology at the same rate that we could. Or they can be a very, very much ahead or very much behind. Mm -hmm. But uh, the main thing that I think that uh, the important thing is space. It's the idea that there is enough space for every particular being in the universe. And we have our space and our restrictions in our space is... Uh, distance and time because if we get to get uh, we travel out of our space and maybe into somebody else's space we'd probably be too old to enjoy it mm -hmm. and you know I think that there's a lot of movies that bring up the idea of like freezing somebody and then thawing them out later I think there was a recent Chris Pratt movie about that where they were supposed to be frozen for XYZ number of years and then when they got there, they would thaw out and they would still be young or what have you. But I think that what's interesting there is that you mention, you talk about space, but then you talk about time in the same way. A lot of people don't associate time with space, even though time is a dimension in the same way that space is. So something can, there can be a lot of space between things in the sense of time. You know, like, for instance, me and you are standing right here in this three-dimensional plane. You know, there's depth and, and you know, we exist in this three-dimensional way. But we're also right next to something. 
And that is the space of whatever was here a thousand years ago, whether it was a tree or an animal or something. And in some ways, we're actually right next to it in the same sense that I'm right next to you. The only difference is instead of being so many feet in front of me, that occupies the same space so many thousands of years before us. So if you think about space being large and time being a function of space, it makes sense that the universe, which is very, very old, and our human race, which is not, um, if you think about the speed at which we, there's a, an ethnobotanist named Terence McKenna, and he said that humankind is just a 2,500-year leap from the trees to the starship, which basically meant that 2,500 years ago, we were basically still foragers for the most part. We didn't really have a lot of civilization or technology. Some people would say it went back a little bit further than that as far as when we really started to have... I mean, even for the first 1,500 years of civilization, we had technology, but we didn't have anything on the level of technology that we have right now. And that's only in 2,500 years, which in the scale of the length of time that the planet has existed, it's just seconds. It's just like that. It's just the flash of an instant. And to think about where we might be in 10 times the amount of that amount of time, that still really isn't even that much time on the scale of the size and of the universe, which is, I think, why some people think that aliens could have already visited here, which, like I'm saying, I don't necessarily know that that has happened. I don't know that we would know if it had happened. But if they did, I think that they have had that whole huge space space of time that we have had to be working on it before we even kind of came into the fold. Well, that, that makes uh, sense. Another thing on them same lines, say if uh, 10,000 years ago that the aliens were a little ahead of us in the space game and they brought a spacecraft somehow to Earth and it wasn't nothing but... Uh, you know, just uh, rock and sand and uh, water and uh, no living life on it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as far as the only thing that they, uh, instead of looking at it as, uh, uh, say, a being or people, maybe they got here and they seen all these rocks and they said, well, you go to that particular planet. Uh, it's just a bunch uh, of rocks. Just, it's, it's just go ahead and skip past that planet. There's nothing there. You're going to want to keep on going 10 million more light years. Yeah. And I that's know. when you're going to get to a real planet with some cool stuff. So, uh, you know, and it, it just depends on uh, time. And time is so great and mm -hmm. uh, vast, just like space, that, like you said, you can be here... Uh, 200 years ago, and then you're here today in the same spot, and it would be completely different. And the only factor there was time. I think that that the little, very limited amount of time that you and I have is a source of a lot of anxiety for a lot of people that they think that they have to accomplish so much stuff in this amount of time that they have on this earth, which I don't agree with. I think that you only have the time and the moment that you are in. So 
it's not to say that you don't necessarily pursue goals, but I think that there is something that is more supreme and greater than pursuing goals, and that is to live in and enjoy the moment that you're in. And I don't even necessarily think enjoy, but really sink into the moment. This is one of the big things that mindfulness meditation is about, which is about being aware of who you are in this moment. And even just saying it right now makes me become aware of this room that we're in, makes me aware of my own breath, makes me aware of the things that I'm saying. And I think that our very limited awareness and the little bit of amount of time that we have, a lot of the time keeps people from being able to enjoy their life. I would like to tell a story about you that I like a lot, that I relate a lot to. And that is that you told me that at one time, my sister Martha was on a school field trip that you were chaperoning, and you got caught a little bit behind them for some reason. Do you remember telling me this story? Well, what what happened was <clears throat> that we were going up in the mountain, and I was uh, one of the chaperones for the uh, ROTC trip, and we were about halfway up the mountain, and uh, I told uh, you know the other chaperone, I said, well, I'll tell you what, you got got everything. Now, I'm going to, uh, you guys let me off, and I'm going to walk the rest of the way up the mountain by myself, and I'll meet you up there when I get there. So you guys, uh, you know, the Martha and her group took off in the van, and I'm walking. At that time, I had uh, asthma, and I didn't really understand asthma that great. So as I was going up the mountain, and the air was getting thinner as you go up in the mountain, and that really affects asthma real bad. So I was beginning to worry about it, you know, because I could hardly breathe. So I, I, I thought if maybe if I go up a little further, I might find a little store on going up in this road. But there was, a, say, a, maybe about 15 minutes from where I was, I run into a store. So when I got up to that store, okay, I asked the person if I could use the phone. So I used his phone and I called the taxi cab. And I told the taxi cab to meet me at this particular store. So he came and picked me up at the store and I told him to take me to my hotel room. So he took me to my hotel room and I got my inhaler. And then I had him take me back to the store where he picked me up in the first place. And then I paid him. And then I finished walking up the mountain. But you took your time when you were going up the mountain. Yeah. Which you do in the first place. Yeah, you're take, a... No, but I did take my time, but I didn't have my inhaler. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, when I got up there, they were all worried about me. Where you been and all this other stuff. And I said, well, I was just going up the mountain. <laughs> well, yeah. And that was the process that you went through and just because you had a couple of steps back it doesn't mean that at any point you weren't still on your way up the mountain you just had to do all the stuff that you had to do on the way yeah and something that i think that you and i share in common now that maybe when i was younger used to just annoy me because everything annoyed me not that you were annoying me but this was always a trait of yours that would annoy me daddy you ready for this i'm calling you out here when we would go to the flea market you would walk so slow looking at everything. And I could look at a table at the flea market and I'm looking at the booth. It takes me maybe 10 seconds. I've seen everything and you're just staring there. You're sitting there just looking at everything that's in the booth. I'm five or six booths ahead of you because I just can't 
I just look back and I just think, what is he doing still looking at everything? Right. But the fact of the matter is that a lot of times you would find stuff there that I hadn't seen on first glance, but even not necessarily to say that you were looking harder at those things. You just realized that you went to the flea market. You didn't go to the flea market to get something. You went to the flea market because you liked going to the flea market. So why would you rush through it, right? And, you know, going to the flea market, you might find something interesting. But if you walk too fast and you're not paying attention, you're going to miss 90% of what Mm -hmm. you're going past. I think that people should probably take that position in the way that they move through their life. I have a good friend recently who I think could benefit from that same idea or mindset because he is somebody who is in his late 20s and he just thinks that he has lost and squandered his whole life just because, you know, he's still living with his parents right now and he doesn't have the greatest job in the world. And he's in school to learn some new skills and stuff. And I just tried to tell him, I was like, you're still very young. And he's like, I'm 28. That's not young. I was like, that even made me laugh. Like, it's 28. You have your whole life ahead of you. There's no need to rush through and try and get to where you're going. You're going to get there eventually. But honestly, to me, and I guess this is my point, is that it doesn't really matter if you get to where you're going. The only thing that matters is that you are on your way to somewhere. You're just... I'm here in this present moment with you and at my best, I'm right here and I'm fully engaged and I'm not thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow or what happened yesterday, but I am fully immersed and engaged in this particular moment. I think a lot of people don't have that because they're so worried about what's going to happen in the future. I think that also comes down to them being afraid of not having enough time in the future, you know, being scared to die or being scared that they're going to lose their youth. That's just something that you can't change. You don't have any sort of control over how much time you have on earth and you don't have any sort of control over when you're going to go. You can take care of yourself, but you can still get hit by a drunk driver and be out just like that. So it's really unfair to yourself to measure your success based on what you think that you will have in the future or what you want to have. The only success that I'm particularly concerned about is if I am in the moment doing as much as I can to live my life to the fullest. That sounds right. Now, I'll give you a thing that I've always looked on, uh, life and travel, things like that. When I had the opportunity to visit different countries in the world when I was in the military, and uh, I got to... uh, meet people with a a different outlook on the world, uh, uh, different customs, uh, different uh, wants and uh, needs and experiences. And a lot, you know, by just trying to take in all this and realize, uh, you know, how much it uh, helped me mature to be able to, see the different things uh, and the different people and the different locations and uh, different countries. Now, a lot of people, when I was in the military, they, the first thing they want to say after they get there, you know, uh, you know, uh, I don't like this place and I can't wait till I leave. 
And then when they get ready to leave and they get back in the United States and say 20 years later and they think to themselves, you know, I could have really got a lot out of that particular experience, but I was too involved with wanting to get back home instead of trying to take advantage of the real travel and the people that you're going to meet in them particular countries. You know what, a good story along those same lines that you have told me is when you were in Panama and those people invited you to come over for chicken. Right. Here, tell me that story. That's a good <laughs> one. The people <laughs> want to hear that, Ed. Well, it was a, a good friend of mine, Jim. He worked for the Panama Canal Company. And he was from Panama. No, his oh, wife was. His wife he married Panama. her in Panama. So he was an engineer, one of the people who, you know, helped keep the canal running and a different, you know, uh, they need him for different expertise. So uh, that was his particular job. So we had met through uh, Mary, my wife, Al Albert's mother, and uh, uh, Jim's uh, wife, they were friends. So they got together and they wanted to, uh, they asked us if we wanted to go uh, into the interior and uh, visit that particular location. And we thought that would be kind of nice to see how the people in the interior really lived, not the people that just worked around the Panama Canal. So we got over there and, uh, well, it was a little bit of walking, getting from where we got off, uh, you know, got parked our uh, truck and where we had to walk up because there were no roads to get to, uh, that particular place so we got got up there and uh, it was just a beautiful area and uh, he had a bunch of uh, Brahma bulls that was that uh, he raised in that area and he had his uh, brother-in-law take care of him and uh, sort of be like the uh, uh, you know the, the person who took care of the, the holdings that he had there in Panama and uh, they, his brother-in-law had this little, small little hut, and uh, they had little chickens in the yard and, and different things. They, they more or less were self-sustained, but they asked if we wanted supper, and they said, I said, oh yeah, we'll have some, and they said, well, we'll have some chicken. Well, they went out there, and they got their chicken, and they, uh, you know, chopped it up and whatever. Right in front of you. Well, well, that's, you know, I've seen that before, too. But I don't know that Mom had ever seen that, huh? Uh, Mom tells this story like a horror story. <laughs> but to me, it was just like, you know, we had to do that in the military when we took survival training. We had to take animals and, and kill them and uh, prepare them to eat and all that other stuff. So that was, you know, that wasn't that much to me. But the bad thing about the whole thing is we didn't realize that... Um, uh, I don't think that they cooked the chicken long enough. They had a little uh, fire in the middle of the floor because they didn't have a stove or nothing. They just had some bricks, not bricks, but rocks. And then they had some kindling and all that cut up. And then they lit the wood and all that. And they put a little spit over it and they uh, cooked the uh, chicken. And this is dirt flooring? And, yeah. And so me and... Uh, your mother, uh, we wasn't, I guess, used to uh, eating 
chicken that raw and that got us uh, a little sick. Could have been the water too, you know. Yeah, and it and it could have been the water, but uh, you know the water was running pretty fast and cold, so I don't think it was the water. But I think it was just that you know because of the chicken maybe wasn't done enough, so uh, we didn't. You know, we just we got a little sick, and that was about. Uh, and uh, we didn't realize that until we got home anyway. But it was a good experience, right? Oh, yeah. You get to experience the way that people live there. And that's something you going to the interior of Panama is something that a lot of the people, especially at that time in the military, probably were not concerned with what was happening outside of their little small section of the world. I think that that's something that I really appreciate about you that I think that you taught to me is that you respect and understand when people are from a different culture than you you know and plus uh you get to you learn a lot from them that uh you can't learn uh at home you know you could understand how they could uh take things and uh build them uh you know make houses out of straw and uh palm and this particular thing and how much art it is to do these things but it, it is a actually uh it's a way of life for the whole people in that particular area because they don't have anybody coming and bringing windows and bringing wood and all that you have to uh there's very few roads and you have to more or less uh the things that are around you to make uh uh to make your home and etc yeah they have less infrastructure or at least to say they had less infrastructure at the time do you think that when you were there and you were around those people who didn't have as much infrastructure and were maybe from a less developed part of the world than where you're from because you're from the city really i mean mom's from pensacola florida but even pensacola florida at the time compared to some of the places that you've been in I'm sure Pensacola is even considered to be developed. But do you feel like those people in those un underdeveloped or less developed places, do you think that they are any less satisfied with their life? Do you think that they sit around wishing that they had the stuff that you had? I, I don't really think that. I think that uh, they're very content with what they have because the, uh, they don't understand what we have because they've never seen it. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have television sets out there because there were no electricity going out there and they don't have any uh, radios because they don't have any signals going out that far. It's just, it's just a way of life. But sure, they, they do, uh, you know, uh, get, uh, go down the mountain a little bit and get on a bus and go into town and uh, different things like that. But as far as having... Uh, you know, a television and a radio and all that, there's there's just no way that they could have got it because there's really no phone lines out there or TV, cable, or uh, even aerial that uh, out there to uh, have a television, even if you could afford it. But with the money that they may make, they, they I don't think they would waste your time doing that. There's too many other things. To keep them, uh, you know, uh, occupied. Is occupied. That occupied. Yeah, it's occupied to just you know, to 
uh, go out there and uh, plant sugar cane or, you know, farm it and uh, wait for it to grow and make sure it gets watered and et cetera, and et cetera, just like any farm in the United States. And then you take it down and, you you know, you have a little, uh, maybe a, a little horse or a, a burrow or something like that that you can uh, hook them up to a cart and take that down. Uh, and uh, sell that and make a few dollars so you can buy some meat or buy chickens or things like that, you know. Well, I have one kind of last question to posit because you talking about that has sort of got me thinking about something else. So we're going back when we were talking about aliens and maybe the different reasons why we haven't contacted aliens yet. And this is something that I've thought about before, but I think that this is a good analogy is when you talk about how people out there don't necessarily, at least at that time, because I can't speak to, I'm sure Panama is much more developed now than it was, and what year was that, like 1978? Well, I, I would say that just a, even a place like that out there in the interior of Panama, some places may not be. Some places could be just like they were. But, uh, you know, that was a, a long time ago, but, you know, sometimes... Uh, Time does not affect them the way it does us. Yeah. I just want to say that if, if there is anyone out there listening in Panama and they're like, we're fine, I got a TV, I'm listening to this podcast right now, I don't want anyone to have to write in to me about that. Oh, but, here's what I'm saying, though. It's not at the people in the towns of Panama. I'm not talking about Cologne or Panama City or little, uh, uh, you know, little towns. I'm talking about out there... Uh, in uh, the in the country. Now, we have country here. And we don't have that kind of country. No, but listen, we do have country in the United States, and we have places that I went in the United States where, back in the country where they might not have a whole lot of, as much as we have right here, but they are not really interested in that particular life. You know, they... They may be people out there who are uh, uh, live by fishing, or uh, yeah, there are definitely people out there who live off the grid who choose to not be connected to any of those things. But I think it's a lot harder for you to live like that in the United States, just because there are probably not huge groups of people who are interested in living off of the grid together. And if there are. Anytime people really start to live off the grid and they start to become self-sustaining, the U.S. government does like to step in and talk to them about that. Um, there are a lot of laws that are in place, especially in Florida, to keep people from living oh, off the grid. Right. Well, what I'm saying in Panama, I'm talking about in the interior. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the people been on buses, right? They have seen cars and roads and all that other stuff. But I'm saying, when well, you go back home, you go back and you get off that bus and you, you get off that car and whatever and you got where you start walking up and uh, to the area that you live way back away from all that. You know, there, it doesn't make sense. You don't have any plumbing because uh, there is no sewer system and all that other stuff. Of course, right here in Pensacola. Back when your mother was growing up, they didn't have any uh, 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 indoor uh, plumbing when it came to uh, going to the bathroom. They had a little 
uh, it's called the outhouse, and it had a little shack out there where you uh, sit there and, uh, you know, you have a little great big hole in the ground and, uh, you know, you crap and uh, it goes down there. And <laughs> after a while, you know, after you filled it up so much, you just take some dirt and cover mm -hmm. it back up and make another hole. And that's how in the United States it wasn't that far away. In a lot of areas, even in Maryland, people that I knew back there, even my uncle had a place like that, and uh, they didn't have a, uh, that. Yeah, uh, there were definitely... And there's still today. Well, I, there is a, a lot of places uh, that maybe don't necessarily... There are a lot of places that don't necessarily have the same sort of indoor-outdoor plumbing that we have. I think that it's also a lot more of a recent luxury. I think that people think that it is really interesting whenever I let them know that my mom grew up in a house that didn't have a toilet for a long time, a real toilet. That's always interesting, especially because, you know, my mom comes from a much, your wife, my mother, comes from a, a much poorer sect of and group of people than a lot of the people that I even know. Like I have friends whose parents are either a little bit younger than you guys or who are just from a different socioeconomic class who can't imagine that 40 or 50 years ago that anyone was using a, an outhouse. But the fact of the matter was there was not enough material wealth then for everyone to have indoor plumbing, whereas that's something that we have now. But I want to use that to circle back around to my last point. So I'm talking about aliens, right? When you say that people don't necessarily want what we have, and I think that that is entirely true. I also think that it is harder now that we have all this information technology, specifically information technology, the ability to exchange information around us. It has made people generally less happy because they have access to more information. It's just how, like, statistically, crime is not any more rampant now than it was 50 years ago, probably. The idea is that we now have cameras that cover it constantly and we hear about it a lot more than we used to. But that's not necessarily to say that there is any more or more dangerous crime happening now. It's just the idea that 50 years ago, you just wouldn't have heard about it when it happened. But this isn't to talk about crime. I say all of that to say that I think that there is a good possibility and a lot of people think that aliens or extraterrestrial life would not necessarily interact with us because we have a relatively simple life right now. It might, our life might not seem simple to us, but it could be very simple compared to whatever sort of thing lies around the corner that we don't know about yet. And I think that sometimes the gift of information can be very damning to have to know about the things that are happening. In fact, there are some tribes that are out in Brazil that remain uncontacted and is like a government mandate have remained uncontacted and have never come into contact with us. We know about them from some aerials and some overhead stuff that we've shown them. But the idea is that our life is not inherently any better than theirs. And just because we have iPhones doesn't mean we're a better or more advanced civilization. They could be advanced in ways that we don't understand. They might have discovered things about music that we've never understood. And they might know something about art that we've never thought of or... or uh, had the chance or opportunity to develop. And I think that in that same way that we have to come across those things organically, there's a good chance that before we encounter extraterrestrial life, 
that we have to turn those corners for ourselves before they're willing to make contact with us. Like in the movie Star Trek First Contact, which you and me watched a couple of months ago, there was the guy that made First Contact, and he didn't do it until they established Warp for the first time, and then that came up on the radar of some of the Vulcans, and then they came over and said, hey, we figured out that you guys found out about Warp. It's, I guess it's time for us to introduce ourselves in the neighborhood. But uh, I think as far as, say, if we were uh, an, an alien species came down to the United States and they they uh, got themselves uh, somehow down here and they had the apparatuses to breathe this particular oxygen and this, that, and the other, and they may have uh, may have been a rule where they came from and uh, the people were... Uh, you know, above them, saying that you are not allowed to disturb this particular or any of the particular areas that are not came, you know, have uh, developed in developed, the same way. Mm -hmm. developed to this particular thing. They have to do it with their own particular time, and they got to do it for themselves, and we can't interfere. And said it might be a law that if that particular people did interfere, they could really get themselves in trouble with, uh, say, the, the people of the universe, you know? Or not really people, but... The, the entities or beings, as they are sometimes called, mm -hmm. could exist outside of our own dimension. Right. Well, Dad, thank you so much for coming on to my show. I appreciate you doing it last minute. I just pulled you away from a conversation that you were having. I said, Dad, come on, you're coming on my podcast. I set up a chair and some telephones in a quiet area of the house. Do you have any final words to tell the people? Normally, this is when I would ask people if they have anything to plug, but uh, I don't think that you have any anything to plug unless you're developing some sort of Netflix or Hulu TV show that you haven't uh, told me no, about I'm yet. No, I'm not plugging anything today. Well, Dad, thank you for coming on, and happy Father's Day. All right. Thank you, and uh, you all take it easy over there in uh, Radio Land. High Strangeness is an unfunny production. Our theme song is To Wake Up by Crystal Coast from the album Three. All our other sound design is also by Crystal Coast. If you have a question or you just want to tell me some dumb shit, email highstrangecast at gmail.com. You can find me, Al Mirabella, on Twitter at unfunny underscore period. Or you can follow our show at at highstrangecast. If you like the pod, consider telling a friend or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, folks, stay safe, stay stranger.